Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. King OX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, Nothing Impossible on King OX. Welcome into our conversation about local innovation, new ways of thinking about things. Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan. And it's another week of Nothing Impossible where we get to talk about cool innovation. And we're also taking a shift and looking at Uh, the role, just like we did last week, the role that equity and inclusion plays, especially for young people. Absolutely. We're going to get started with STEM STL. We're going to talk with Natalie about their efforts to really bring anti-racism into STEM and make sure that there are equitable opportunities for everybody in the region, all the kids who are going to school and may have an interest in STEM careers, that the pathways are open for them, especially, Travis, as so many companies in St. Louis and around the country are struggling to find skilled workers. We need to we need to widen the the net, if you will, cast a broader net, and make sure that we have more people into this pipeline. And this we're not going to solve for an immediate need, but I also know that you know, companies are going to have a need fifteen years down the line. So let's let's get these young kids interested in science, technology, engineering, and math. So that's first up on the show. Then we're going to get into a St. Louis startup that's been named the best of its kind in the country, less annoying CRM. We both like that name. We'll find out what CRM stands for coming up. And then we're going to wrap up the show with an interview that Carol Daniel did talking to the folks at NextCore as they uh, held a streamathon, a streaming event, uh, specifically to help uh, early stage companies and put some resources around them. Yeah, their St. Louis Small Business Independence Day featured 100 businesses, a roundtable of kid entrepreneurs, and Carol says there were even fire dancers. So can't wait for that interview. (laughs) So a pretty packed show. Stick around. We'll be right back after a quick break. Uh, This is Nothing Impossible presented by BioSTL. King MOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back into Nothing Impossible, Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun. And we're joined by Natalie Self. She is the executive director of STEM STL. Uh, Natalie, thanks for joining us. Hi to you both. I'm so thrilled to be here. 
so Natalie, uh, just for our listeners, let's set the stage. What is STEM STL? STEM STL is a collaborative consortium of 80 plus organizations in the region that care a lot about how we get young people into STEM jobs in St. Louis. So we have school districts, we have teachers, we have out of school time programs, we have our STEM institutions like our museums, um, and then we have employer partners at the table. And what we do is we think about how do we make all of the individual STEM learning that our young people have add up? Right? What are the pieces, the connective tissues that have to exist between classrooms and summer camps and after school programs and job training programs to make sure that we can get young people from STEM learning into STEM careers? How did STEM STL get started and what's the, the connection to Bio STL helping to stand up the organization? BioSTL, as a driver of innovation in the region, um, secured some membership in and technical support from a national STEM learning um, ecosystems initiative. So STEM STL is sort of the St. Louis representative of that. Um, and to the state, we are very lucky that BioSTL is our backbone. So that means our fiscal sponsor. Um, they give us our organizational um, offices and backend infrastructure. Um, and STEM STL would not exist without BioSTL. So we're grateful for them. And talk about the event on Wednesday of this week addressing anti-racism in STEM. We've heard a lot in the last couple of weeks about um, anti-racism. And so this was our opportunity to really sit and think about what does that mean? What does that mean for science? You know, oftentimes in STEM, whether it's entrepreneurship or job training or learning, there's this desire to separate social justice conversations around racial equity. We want to put them in a social justice category on one side, you know, of a fence and and put STEM as hard science kind of on another side of the fence. And we've decided to say, you know what, it's time that we have to bring those two together if we're really going to meet the demand for the jobs of St. Louis's future. Well, I mean, I, I, Natalie, I would imagine, I've never run this experiment, but I could, if I pictured in my head that I had a classroom of grade school students and I gave them a blank piece of paper and a box of crayons and I asked them to draw a picture of a scientist, Mm -hmm. uh, they probably would draw like a Doc Brown or a mad scientist, probably a, an older white male as a scientist. So race does play a role in a preparation for or seeing themselves in these careers, right? Race plays a huge role in this. And there actually have been experiments that have done just that, Travis. So if you ask a classroom full of kindergarten students to draw a scientist, they will draw girls, they will draw boys, they will draw people that don't have genders or have lots of different genders. They'll draw lots of different races. But if you ask first graders, they will do exactly that. They will draw older white men in lab coats. And so something happens. There's something in the air that we can't name unless we're really looking for it that tells our kids to opt out even at five or six. So imagine then how difficult it would be for them to continue at eight or 10 or going into high school or going into college. And we look at the data. There's huge drop-offs along the way. And so if we're not really intentionally naming that we have to ferret out that racism, we are never going to make sure that our Black students can make it through into STEM careers. Is it a lack of role models or is it teachers directing them in a different direction? Is it because many school districts that, that serve Black kids don't have the resources or don't have the connections to those kinds of uh, you know, STEM situations? What, uh, what's the root behind this? The challenge is that there's probably thousands of reasons. 
Um, in the literature around STEM teaching and learning, there's this concept of broadening participation. So that's what we call conversations related to how do we make sure that more black and brown students get through science? Sometimes it also relates to how women get through science or returning citizens. But for the um, purposes of this conversation, we'll talk about black students. But so often in the broadening participation conversations, we talk about the things you just named, right? If only we had better mentors, or if only we pointed to these people, or if only we made the content more relevant to brown students, typically we think that is the reason that they're not matriculating through. And the reality is that is important. That makes them feel included in STEM and in STEM learning, but it doesn't fundamentally address the fact that there is racism in the workplace, that our black scientists face, that there's racism at universities, that our black STEM students face, and there's data that points to all of those things. It's not enough to simply make our black students feel more included in the ways that we talk about STEM. We, who are working with them, really need to understand the barriers that we're putting up for them as well. Okay, so if we, you know, the work that you're doing, Natalie, through STEM STL, we can look back to, you know, George Floyd's death and really a list of any other black men and women that have been killed. We could look back all the way to Michael Brown and the, and the report that was generated from the Ferguson Commission and the 189 recommendations really that were focused, you know, there was a big focus on children at the center. Tell us a little bit about how the work through STEM STL ties into the Ferguson report. I would say the work of STEM STL is wholly connected to the Ferguson Commission report. Uh, you might recall that there are you know, three parts, um, opportunity to thrive and, and youth in the center and race equity and, and certainly youth in the center. Um, if you go down the list and kind of tick off ones that are related to the underlying policies that would impact whether or not black students um, get quality STEM learning, have quality STEM experiences, and can matriculate into STEM careers, you'll find that almost all of them are related. Anything from understanding what quality internship looks like to evaluating the school funding formula, um, it, it's all related. And so in some ways, one of our calls to action on Wednesday was pick one of the recommendations and get going. Um, but there are also recommendations at a policy level that we could probably identify that because the world has changed in five years, weren't in the Ferguson Commission report. So for example, closing the digital divide, that is not in the Ferguson Commission report, but if you think about what our young people need to learn today, what our um, parents and family members need to work, um, the health, our ability to access healthcare so that we can be engaged in working um, and learning. Closing the digital divide is something that we really need to think about as well. How do you prioritize those? Uh, you mentioned picking one and going with it, but from internships to school funding, which is a state issue, internships, private companies, internet access might be the school districts. How do you prioritize, I guess, and, uh, and how receptive have all of these different institutions been uh, to calls for action? One of our roles at STEM STL is to set the table. Um, and so 
what we are doing um, is asking our partners to really identify kind of what their role is. We have a number of organizations who provide direct services, and that's what they're really good at, right? What they shine at is working with the students, um, whether it's the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts um, or teachers in the classroom. And so we understand that taking a policy approach may not work for them. But we also have a lot of partners like our corporate partners or funders. And one of our calls for them is to say, let's think strategically about how we're deploying our resources in the region, right? Like what does corporate citizenship look like? What does philanthropy look like? How do we put some long-term investments in solving some of these big problems? We also know that in order to solve these, we have to partner core to leading with an anti-racist lens is to unlearn supremacy. One of the ways that supremacy shows up in a nefarious way um, is sort of scarcity mindset. And so in like in lots of places, I think in St. Louis, sometimes our nonprofits and other partners have a scarcity mindset, which means maybe they don't want to partner or they're afraid to partner or they're afraid that if they partner, they'll lose funding. Um, and so at SEMSTL, one of our big roles also is to just bring together unlikely partners to solve some of these big, hairy issues. Seems like scarcity mindset is uh, something that's infected a lot of issues in the St. Louis area. <laughs> Travis, I I would argue that it that it did, um, but I would also argue that we we have what we need, right? We have enough time to do the right work, and we have enough resources to solve these problems. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to decide that we're going to solve them. It's too easy for us to just kind of throw up our hands and say like, "Oh, it's too much. It's too hard." It is hard. It is a lot. Racism is deeply entrenched in St. Louis. But if we decide that we can opt out, then our young people are going to continue to feel left behind. You know, I would argue that the reason that we saw so much unrest on the street is because our young people, five years after Mike Brown's murder, don't feel like their lives have changed a whole lot. And so it is up to us to really rigorously ask ourselves, are we taking the fact that racism exists seriously and what are we doing to dismantle that? So, uh, you know, I want to ask you, you know, what does success look like and are there short, is there short-term success? And then of course, longer term success. Totally. For our partners in STEM STL, one of the things that we need to be better about doing that our partners are very open to um, is to just have conversations about this. Programs are really busy every day delivering programs. Like I said, that's what they're great at and it's what they're doing. And so one of the things that STEM STL will do more of is just bringing partners together. I think one of the benefits of the event on Wednesday was, you know, it was on Zoom, so so hard to have interaction, but there was just a lot of comments in the chats and sharing ideas. So we need to get better at being more inclusive in our programs. I also think, though, that if we're not really looking at the metrics over time, if we are not very specifically building muscles about how we name the ways that racism shows up in policies and then work to dismantle those policies, whether they're big P policies or small P policies inside organizations, then we won't be successful. And so we need to practice that as well. You know, we have an aging population, baby boomers. They are a big cohort and they are moving into retirement. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm probably going to retire hopefully in 20 years or so. Uh, what are we doing? STEM STL is really about managing and building that pipeline, right? To 
replace the the retiring workforce and making sure that we have talent that, that can move into these jobs. Mm-hmm. The big thing that we need to do is, while it's true that we need to help our young people understand science and we need to train them to learn concepts, we also really need to ask our employer partners and our corporate partners, our entrepreneurship partners to take a look at themselves um, in partnership with the STEMSTL community and to really redefine what a worker looks like. Our population is changing. They're going to have different desires for the workplace. They're going to work differently. They're going to look differently. And so we actually see that you know once we get students through the pipeline and we get them into college, even when they matriculate, 80% of Black female scientists report that they've been discriminated against in the workplace. Hmm. 80%, right? That's a whole lot of people. And either we're going to say all of them are lying or we're going to take this really seriously. And I say this with loving radical candor, right? This, that is my approach to the work. It is not my desire to shame or upset our employer partners, but we really, if we're going to solve this problem, we need to center the problem and we really need to look at it. We really need to understand that it's the STEM worker of yesterday has to look different than the STEM worker of tomorrow. Natalie, for somebody who's listening and they're just outraged, they, they can't believe this, what can the average person do? Uh, is it writing legislators about the funding formula? Is it if they work at a company trying to influence internships? Could it be sponsoring a kid at the STEM for Kids or the uh, Made for Kids working space? Uh, what are some things that the average person can do to help contribute to this? I think you're right. I think it's about finding your locus of control and finding the thing that you're really that excited about and passionate about. So if you're in a corporation, you know, talking to your folks um, in HR or in um, you know, the diversity office about understanding how you can contribute, particularly if you're a white person, um, how you can bring your voice to this conversation. If it is, if you do really care about access to STEM learning, giving to our STEM institutions is a great way to make sure that there's just more exposure. Um, one of the things that would really, I think, help our Black STEM students and our um, educators who are Black um, and STEMSTL um, would be that if you are white, if you have privilege in this conversation, to talk to other people that look like you, right? So often we call upon our Black students to talk about the racism that they experience in the workplace or, or our Black program leaders to tell their stories. And that's important. Um, but if we had more white folks, if we had more white men talking to other white men, um, I think we would solve this problem faster. By the way, we should we should probably clarify that STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. I know we've been throwing this around quite a bit, uh, but these are the, the fields you know that encompass STEM. Natalie Self, the executive director of STEM STL, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. And stay tuned for more Nothing Impossible, presented by BioSTL on KMOX. KMOX, at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan. And we're going to get into it now with one of the St. Louis software companies that's just received a big recognition. U.S. News and World Report says that less annoying CRM 
is the best CRM software of 2020. They're a St. Louis-based customer relationship manager, so that's what CRM stands for. And joining us right now on Nothing Impossible is the CEO of Less Annoying CRM, Tyler King, and a partner in the company, Alex Hyman. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. So explain to us, first of all, what is Less Annoying CRM? So yeah, a CRM, like you said, is customer relationship management. There are a lot of them out there. Uh, so it's a very crowded field, but most of them are meant for really, really big companies to manage their relationships with their customers. Uh, less annoying CRM, like the name kind of implies, is just kind of a simpler, easier version of it for businesses that don't have a whole IT team to support this, just kind of you know, one to 20 person businesses that uh, want something simple and easy, but need to keep track of their customer information. Can you talk to us a little about the, the journey in St. Louis for less annoying CRM? Yeah, absolutely. We started in uh, San Francisco, actually. I'm, I'm from St. Louis, but uh, left after college. And then uh, we kind of bootstrapped. So a key part of our story is we never raised any money for investors. And San Francisco is a terrible place to be if you're in that situation. So <laughs> as soon as we got to the point where it was actually time to start hiring people, uh, you know, having them work out of my 500 square foot studio apartment that cost more than a mansion in Ladue here uh, didn't really make sense. So we looked around, looked at a lot of different cities and, and came back to St. Louis uh, back in 2014. And kind of it's been off to the races ever since then. And as you're in San Francisco, what is the attitude there uh, as the costs increase, as you mentioned? Uh, are a lot of folks with startups there and technology companies looking for alternatives or are they resigned to you know staying in Silicon Valley? They're just going to have to deal with the high costs. Is, is there an opportunity, I guess, for cities like St. Louis here? I think absolutely. You know, we left a little while ago, but my understanding is, and all my friends there, everybody's always talking about leaving. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to love about it. I, I don't want to sound critical of the Bay Area. It's a great place. There's a reason a lot of startups are there, but it really puts a lot of pressure on you financially and in so many other ways, the, the level of competition, the lack of cooperation in some parts of it. Um, I think that, you know, from our point of view, we basically said anywhere other than here would be the right place to grow. Now, when I think of CRMs, uh, this seems like a David and Goliath type of issue, right? The, the Goliath probably in the industry is something like Salesforce, which mm -hmm. is a big behemoth. Uh, how has less annoying CRM been able to you know, make a dent in a market that has such a strong incumbent? Yeah, I kind of think of it as uh, if you have to beat LeBron James in a sport, pick anything other than basketball. Um, <laughs> we're, not, we're not beating Salesforce head on. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we, we just kind of got named number one, uh, the number one CRM by the US News and World Report, but they weren't saying we're better at being Salesforce than Salesforce. They were saying basically that there's a group of underserved people that uh, the really big companies, if, if, if you think of it as David and Goliath, Goliath is ignoring a lot of the small companies in this case, um, a lot of the small customers. So what we've kind of done is basically say who isn't being served by the existing, uh, you know, Who's not big enough of a market for the $180 billion company to bother with them? And that's really small, old school, low tech businesses. So real estate agents and insurance agents and small manufacturing companies. And so we've kind of carved out our niche going after those customers that no one else really wants. What is it that makes less annoying CRM uh, more appealing to a company that maybe hasn't been on the technology train as much in recent years? Is it the interface? Is it the features you offer? What makes it most your product most appropriate for them? 
Yeah, we kind of think of it as three things. Um, so one is, yes, the, the interface and just the simplicity of the product. If you think about how a big company works, they turn everything into a, an assembly line. If you have 10,000 customer service reps working for you, it has to be an assembly line. But at a five-person business, it's more of an art than a science. And so by stripping out a lot of that automation and the complexity around kind of setting it up, uh, we make it a lot easier to use and get started for a small business. Um, the second thing is price. You know, Salesforce, you can easily be paying $300 per user per month or more if you uh, kind of go for all their upsells and everything. Whereas we just have one single price uh, of it's about to be $15 per user per month. And then the final thing is, and this is probably the number one biggest thing, is customer service. Um, if you're selling to people who aren't tech savvy, they, you know, if, if a customer is trying to buy Salesforce, they probably just send it over to their IT team and they say, get this set up for us and let us know when it's done. A typical small business doesn't have that option. So we sort of have to be their IT team. And that's a huge differentiator for us. I have to tell you, I've, I've always liked the name uh, Less Annoying <laughs> CRM because there's a, there's a definite brand promise <laughs> built in into that name. Uh, as, as you've rolled this out, as you've, as you've scaled this now, uh, how how important has it been to stay true to the product and not try to bolt other things on that could end up being annoying? Yeah, it's a constant challenge because uh, it's tempting, right? As as entrepreneurs, we want to you know innovate and all that, and and we can, but you just have to be disciplined about what innovation means. But I think it's been absolutely critical, and you know we we are in constant communication with our customers. And this is what they just keep telling us is they keep saying, I, I tell everyone I know about you, I love you, just don't abandon us because every small business has been abandoned by software companies. And I almost think the population in general doesn't trust tech companies anymore because there's too much pivoting and too much moving up market. And so the fact that we've for almost 11 years now stayed focused on the same customers, I think has been a big part of uh, our kind of slow but steady uh, journey. And less annoying, CRM received an Arch grant. The company worked out of T-Rex for a while. Uh, how do you evaluate the St. Louis support scene and also lifestyle? I'm a transplant to St. Louis. I moved here almost 10 years ago for graduate school uh, at Washington University and uh, decided to stay afterwards for my first job out of, out of grad school and then met Tyler and kind of got, got roped in here. And so I, I come uh, admittedly with a glass half full view. I, mean, I, I chose St. Louis uh, not by birth, but by uh, an adult decision about where I was going to make my life. And uh, the scene is tremendous in that if you're willing to uh, sort of extend a hand, go say hello, go ask for some help, uh, seek advice, um, the resources are there. Uh, and I would say that has definitely been true for us as a company over the last six years since we moved to St. Louis after receiving the Arch Grant and our time in T-Rex. Uh, but it's it's a place that it's it's open. Uh, the sort of the doors are available if you're if you're game to go and put a little effort in to go knock on them. If I may put it that way. Well, uh, Tyler King, Alex Hyman, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the record uh, or the recognition, I should say, of being named uh, top uh, CRM uh, in the in the country. That's that's great. We understand that there are caveats, uh, <laughs> but the biggest I think, but the success is that you are serving a very. Uh, uh, important population, and that is the you know the ninety five percent of businesses that aren't Fortune five hundreds that are small mom and pop businesses that need more efficiency so they can increase revenue and continue hiring people. So congratulations to both of you. Thank you very much.
Thank you, guys. All right, coming up next, uh, Carol Daniel talks to the folks at NextCore. They are wrapping up their uh, streamathon, which is giving support to startups. Stick around. KMOX at your service. BioSTL presents Nothing Impossible. BioSTL, driving the St. Louis innovation economy. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Michael and Travis with you, and a first-of-its-kind three-day celebration just wrapped up Saturday. It's called St. Louis Small Business Independence Day. It was a three-day online event, the brainchild of the business incubator NextCore. Carol Daniel has more on that event, which featured 100 businesses, a roundtable of kid entrepreneurs, and Travis, even some fire dancers. Co-founder Larry Cohen tells me what they hoped to accomplish and what they learned about the innovative ways St. Louis area small business owners are surviving the pandemic. But first, he tells me why they decided to do all this in the first place. Yes. Yeah, so in April, when this crisis was you know, reaching pandemic level, uh, we uh, we created Streamathon and Streamathon was a live 32-hour event broadcast online, and it was equipped to satisfy some of the current issues that small business owners face, like they needed to pay rent, they needed to pay a utility bill. So we raised $40,000 in conjunction with our uh, fiscal agent, Justine Peterson. We raised $40,000 for businesses in April and another $30,000 in in-kind services. But what we found as we moved later into the spring and into the summer was that uh, was that businesses were still struggling and they had stories to tell. In other words, like the businesses that are still in business today have have a a, a story or a spirit behind them that is driving them to move forward. And many businesses are transitioning and pivoting in this time and developing new streams of income. So, for example, with us at NextCore, we launched the NextCore production division during the pandemic. And that is a division that tells the story of people going through this crisis. So we are introducing St. Louis Small Business Independence Day. And we're calling it Small Business Independence Day because small business owners have a desire and a, um, a passion to be independent. That's why they started their business. They have a, a dream of what it is that they want to do. And a lot of businesses have closed, but there's a lot that are surviving. And we want to tell the stories of survival. We want to tell the story of the spirit of St. Louis through the eyes of the entrepreneurs. And we'll be taking a snapshot look at at what makes them keep going. Why aren't they giving up? How has the pandemic caused them to go deep inside themselves and and tap into some personal strength that they may never thought was there and then lastly, how has their business evolved? Many businesses has, have formed new streams of revenue, have opened up new lines of services or products. And it's an exciting time for those businesses. And with so much negativity in the news, we just want to tell the story of, of small business owners and why they keep fighting and why it's important to them. And what we hope will be achieved by this is that the St. Louis community will get a, a an inside look at the heart and the spirit of the small business owner. And when you know someone from the inside out, you're more likely to want to do business with them. You're more likely to want to support them. I mean, one of the stories that touched my heart was a gentleman that 
was his dream to open up a restaurant and he opened it up and the pandemic came and within like, you know, weeks or months of opening it up, he had to close it, but they fought through it. They started selling their food through other retail outlets and just his spirit of why he's staying on and what it means for him to, to um, share his love with the community through his food and why it's so important for him to be a, a place of like community gathering is really touching. And I think when people hear that story, they'll be more likely to visit his restaurant. So we, we hope that this will increase awareness and increase business for the small business owners that are participating. How did you decide, uh, because I'm sure there are more than 100, how did you decide to feature that 100? So what we did was we um, shared it through different small business groups um, through Facebook. We put out ads. We just contacted, you know, um, word of mouth. So we kind of threw it out to the community for about a month of anyone who was interested in submitting their story. But there, there, it had to qualify. We didn't want stories, however valid they are, Carol, but we didn't want stories of people who were desperate and they needed something to keep going. We wanted to show stories of people who were had pivoted and were in transition, who somehow were making the best of this crisis, who somehow you know found an inner strength that they didn't know existed. So some stories we got that we, we didn't include in this. You mentioned the one story of, and I think a lot of people are familiar with those restaurants who, for instance, turned into grocery stores, those restaurants yes. that, um, you know, went, and so many that went to curbside, went to delivery. Uh, that's a common pivot that we hear about. Other than restaurants, what other pivots have you, will we hear from these 100 stories? Yeah, so I, I mean, another story that, that touched me also was a gentleman, um, he does balloon art and he, um, um, you know, makes comes to the parties for the kids and he makes the balloons. Well, all his business just dropped and he has been doing this his entire life. So he just made a post on Facebook that he decided he would do like contactless balloon drops for anyone that wanted to be cheered up or kids. And he put like a couple different types of balloons. Anyways, to make a long story short, his, his, his bookings have increased so much that his like sales volume is where it was when he didn't when he was doing the parties. So not only he said in his interview is he getting so much joy from just dropping off the balloons and then texting the the um, the, the person who ordered them saying your balloon is at the front door or your balloon art is in the yard, but also he's created an entirely new line of revenue for him that he'll be able to continue once everything, you know, streams back to normal, so to speak. And it, it's interesting that when we when we think about um, business owners and, and their survival, you know, the PPP comes to mind. Um, it, it's yes. about the money. It's about, you know, the money and the business in order to survive. But it sounds like right. you have found that it is far more than that, that, that these small business owners needed in order to make it through this. It is. I'll tell you, you know, um, I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years and I've had my successes and my failures, but it's not just money. It's, it's, if you don't have the heart and the drive, being a small business owner is challenging. It's frustrating. It's lonely. Um, it's, it's, it's scary. It's, it's kind of like, you know, pioneering something because you really don't know 
what's around the next corner. And for most small business owners, their resources are limited. So one of the things that we've done in this uh, three-day broadcast is we have a segment called Stories of Statue. And we are we went around to different famous statues and landmarks in St. Louis, and we told the story behind that statue or, of, of what that uh, person went through. For example, we went to the um, Mary Meacham Freedom Crossing, and where which was a slave crossing back in the mid 1800s, where she took slaves across the Mississippi River so they could get their freedom in Illinois. And what what must she had gone through? We talked about Annie Malone and what it must have been like for her to navigate being the first African American millionaire in St. Louis and one of the first in the country. We talked about the Eads Bridge when they said you could never carry you know, cargo across the bridge. And then he defied it and built the the steel frame bridge, which carried America West. So we integrated with stories around St. Louis to, to let them know that anytime someone says no, it's just a no. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means you have to take another path. And we talk about that, that every business owner has their plan A and that we encourage people to stay with their plan A and not have a plan B. But sometimes you have to have multiple ways to reach your plan A. And these business owners that we're showcasing have developed different streams, different different um, avenues so that they can still stay alive. And when this all begins to level out, they will be stronger because of this. It's my, it, it's my hope and my belief that these business owners that we're showcasing, as well as many others in St. Louis that we didn't get a chance to showcase, will become stronger, more resilient, and have more grit. And we'll look back on this experience with as one that was confidence and one that they can lend support to to other small business owners who may emerge in the future and give them advice and guidance and say, look, I did it. This is how I did it. And you can do it. And we just want to showcase that strength of St. Louis to the broader national audience. Uh, two more questions. You sure. um, one is is about the you know the most unusual like a business might have been a restaurant, but then they started selling something else. Yes, um, that, that doesn't even relate to that. Did, did, or, or is there anything like that that you found? Yeah. So, for example, I mean, we we're showcasing several musicians and artists because musicians and artists are business people too, and obviously their business has been been cut off, but many of the, the artists and performers are going online now and teaching music classes and, and, and teaching dance and teaching their art through, um, through online sources so that the kids have an opportunity to learn from them. So that has been a new stream of income for some of the artists that we're showcasing. And last question, you the, the first event you held where you raised the money, I imagine that that went quickly. And do you have any plans to do that again? Or or, or is this the better way you felt to highlight? Well, so th- that's a great question. And so, I mean, next core, we are a for-profit business. We're a, a business incubator, a business accelerator, a collaborative workspace. So we, the first one we partnered with Justine Peterson, who was able to, you know, act as our fiscal agent to take the money in, but we feel our strength at NextCore is in promoting and assisting businesses to get their name out. So we we, we really don't want to act as a um, we're not a nonprofit, so we can't you know legally take in that money and then distribute it. So what we're doing now is just showcasing the stories and really helping promote the small business community. But la- lastly, the other thing that I think 
what we're trying to do at Next Core to Help is we're, we are providing collaborative opportunities for businesses. And what that means is um, we have a gentleman who has a car washing business, and he's going to be on site washing cars. But we are, um, there's a young man, he's in his teens, he has a, his, his name is Mr. Fresh, he has an air freshener. So he's going to be scenting the interior of the cars, and we are trying to match different businesses together so that they can they can um, collaboratively become more stronger. We're just trying to showcase a lot of the good that St. Louis has. And it seems like it wasn't hard to find it. It's not. Like, they're really, really, I mean, just this is my own personal belief, but I just really believe there is so much more good going on than bad. And St. Louis is such a wonderful community. I'm a Chicago native, born and raised in Chicago. I've moved to St. Louis. I've never looked back. I love this city. It's my adopted hometown. I believe in it. I believe in its strength. I've never seen a more like close knit, gen- generous community. Clearly, we have our problems. We have our issues. I know that, but there's so much good there, and I I, I hope that this event showcases the good and the spirit. And when did you launch uh, NextCore? We launched NextCore August of 2017, so it'll be um, three full years. And when did you move here? Was it, is that why you moved I, here? I, Pretty much. I went to Washington University, and that's my first introduction to St. Louis. I moved out west and uh, raised my family out there and had some businesses, but I always wanted to come back to St. Louis. So I came back to St. Louis in about 2014, and people thought I was crazy, like, you're moving back to St. Louis? I said, it's always where I wanted to be. Like, I just, I had such a love for this city and came back and met my soon-to-be business partners in another business I was in, and we we wanted to help entrepreneurs. As I said, I've been a small business owner. I've had ups and downs, a lot of downs, so I know what it's like to be out there alone and feel like you have no support. So I wanted to create a place for business owners, not to have the just the logistical support, like how do you start an LLC and how do you get funding and how do you do a business plan, but also the emotional support that comes with starting a business because it's scary. And a lot of times you don't have the support of family and friends. They, they encourage you to keep the safety of the job, but there's something in entrepreneurs that's driving force that they just need to do what they need to do, like the man with the food or the, the balloon artist and so many others that, that I've come across. So we established NextCore to not only provide the logistical services, but the, the, the emotional support, the, the continuing the dream and the vision and kind of put that all together. So I'm proud of it. And I, like I said, I just love St. Louis. I, this city has my heart. Thanks to Carol for that. And you can see all the small business features that NextCore created, including the roundtable of St. Louis area kids who have launched businesses on the NextCore Facebook page. Well, that's a wrap for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Michael, another good week. We'll talk to you again next week. Let's do it. Take care. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.